this morning we're going to see the end, well, kind of the end of this discourse of Jesus here in Luke 21 as he speaks to his disciples uh, about the coming of the kingdom and what that, what that means, what it will look like, what to expect and when it will be, answering the disciples' questions from earlier in, in this, this chapter about what life will be like coming up to his coming and what to expect for it. Uh, I will be, well, I'd say I'll be honest with you. Of course I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like sermons like this. Uh, sermons like this are far too hard-hitting for me. Um, I, so essentially what you're hearing this morning is me just talking out loud to myself um, and you can gain from it what you, what you will. But we talked last week as we looked at our text that we need to be prepared and be ready for Christ's coming and we looked through uh, verse 31, 32 and 33 last week and seeing the, the permanence of God's word and trusting what God has to say that what, will come to, what he says will come to pass will come to pass. And so this morning we're going to continue with these last few words from verse 34 through verse 38. And here Jesus concludes his sermon here on the Mount of Olives with these words, But take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed on the mount called Olivet. Then early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Let's have a word of prayer as we come to God's word. Our Heavenly Father, indeed, we come to your word with expectation that indeed as the rain falls and waters the earth and brings fruit, so we ask today, dear God, that your word would fall our hearts and bring forth fruit. And praise you and thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage we're looking at this morning, these last few words of Jesus, really don't need much explaining. They are pretty clear in what Jesus intends and what he, he means here. The only exception to put on this is just the simple reminder that we've been having through the whole thing of Luke 21, and that is to say that Jesus isn't speaking directly to the church here. So these words aren't directed primarily to the believer about watching and what's to come. He is, of course, speaking of what is to come for his kingdom coming. But while that is true, and while Jesus is talking here to Jews about his coming kingdom, it does not mean it's irrelevant to us, and that it is only for them, and it only has to do with them. There is much here that we need to take in and to learn. It helps us understand who God is. It helps us to understand how God works. But also what we find is although Jesus is giving these words here to the disciples there in reference to their question about the coming kingdom, we find these same warnings, these same words given all throughout the New Testament to the New Testament believers. So the warnings, while they are here, particularly directed to uh, those that will be alive and to the Jews, they are echoed throughout Scripture for the believer 
uh, to consider and to think. And that's how we will take them this morning, is looking at them as a whole, at the warnings that God gives every believer of every age. See, the guidance that Jesus gives here is for future generations, but also throughout Scripture to us. Here is a universal truth, though. The universal truth is no matter what age you live in, whether it was even before Christ or right after Christ or in the days just preceding before his return for the kingdom, no matter what age you live in, be prepared for Christ's coming. It was true of his first coming. Would he be prepared for his first coming? And when he did come that first time, only a handful were prepared, which included people like Simeon and Anna and Joseph and Mary and, and some others. But it was a small group who were actually prepared for his first coming. And the command is still the same as we prepare for his second coming, that is, be ready for it. So we want to look here this morning and, and learn what do we need to remember. After everything that Jesus has told us about his second coming, about what is ahead, about what this age will look like to live in, that it will be filled with some trouble and persecution and, uh, and uh, things like that and then lead into even greater times of trouble, what do we need to learn? What has he taught us reminds us about his coming? I have only two thoughts we're going to look at this morning and say they're fairly straightforward, so I don't expect that we're going to be here a long time, but that doesn't mean that these are not important warnings for us. And the first thing that we hear is watch for his coming. Watch for his coming. It says in verse 36, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. We need to watch, to watch. He uses these two words. Firstly, watch. Remembering, of course, that through all of this, through everything that's progressed through Luke 21, and all that he's told us about what is coming, and that, yes, we're going to live through some difficult times, and, and there will be persecution, and there will be trouble and heartbreak, and there will be uh, incredible things we see in the world. Even through, through all of this, he reminds us, even as we get to the end there, that something better is coming. Something better is coming. Even the disciples' question, which starts all this, the question in, in verse 7, which begins, is you know, what is the sign of your coming and, and of your kingdom? Even that question is a question which is filled with hope. It's a question which says we're, we're expecting God to do what he's promised he will do. So the whole thing here is, is filled with hope. When is the kingdom coming? When will we see your promises fulfilled, your glory shine through. Jesus' answer to that question, if we're to kind of boil it down into one statement, his answer to that question is, be patient and persevere. It's coming. Just be patient and persevere to the end. Remember that this world is temporal. And it's part of what he reminds us through all of this, even though there's all this trouble. And we got to that particularly last week as we looked at, at the end of what is to come. He's reminding this world is temporal. It's and it's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that what we're living in and, and what we experience day in and day out and what we see around us, this is all temporal. It is not an eternal state we are in right now. There's an important question that we all need to remind ourselves of and all need to ask ourselves. This is, what are you living for? What are you living for? Or, or maybe even who are you living for? How does that look in this life? What am I doing 
for that end. It's easy to lose our way and to lose sight of our hope. But we must live this life, not wish it away on something else or hope for another or what is to come. We have to live this life. We're not meant to live this life grudgingly, but we're meant to live it with zeal, with passion, and with a purpose that is eternal. One of the scriptures I learned very early on as a, as a boy and still remember and, and recall very often is in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 through 13. It gives us these three stages of Christ's coming and what it means for us. For the grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing salvation. This is first coming. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That is the now. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is, Christ has come and it is glorious. And so what do we do now? We live godly and we look for his coming again. Second Peter, which we read some last week and spent some time considering last week, where he talks about the renewal of the earth, reminds us of this very thing. In Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? So he asks an important question. Knowing that this is all going to end, what do we do now? How should we live now in this world knowing that it is going to be brought down and dissolved and renewed? And he says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, look forward to these things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. This, as he says, be found this way. It's not, this, we're to be found without spot. We're to be found being godly, pursuing peace and godliness. It's not what we will become later, but that's how we need to be found. That's what we need to be pursuing here and now. So we watch with hope, with anticipation, with eagerness. God is going to make everything right again. So look forward to his return. It's easy to lose our way. So we watch. We look ahead. When I was a teenager, um, spent a lot of time racing go-karts. And at the beginning, we, we did some lessons. We learned from some go-kart uh, racers to teach us how to do it right. One of the first things they told us is when you're, you're racing and you come to a corner, you don't look at the corner and look at the beginning of the corner. When you come to the corner, you look through the corner to where you want to be at the end. And if you look through the corner to where you want to come out at the other side, you will get through that corner just like you ought to. And that's how we live life. We're not looking now at here. We're looking through this life to the end. If we're looking through this life to the end, we will live this life as we ought. We will pursue the right end to come out. It doesn't mean if we're looking to the end, if we're looking beyond this to eternity, that we're going to pass through this life kind of detached, but rather the opposite. When we look through this life to see the end, what God is doing, it changes us to make us much more uh, passionate about what happens in this life. 
at what ought to be in this life? Am I living this life with eternal significance? And it's easy to answer that question, yes. But how? How? What does that look like in my life? How am I living with Christ's coming in view? Am I living proof of the hope of Christ in a world where people's hearts are failing? Do I live by faith and inspire others to do so by the way that I live? Am I ready to say with conviction, like John did at the end of his vision, even so come, Lord Jesus? Those words, easy to recite, but can I say it with conviction? Yes, God, I'm ready for you to come. I will be found in peace and pursuing you. I've kept the faith. I've fulfilled your purpose through me. We need to watch. Watch. But Jesus also tells us here in anticipation of his coming, not only to watch and to look for his coming, but to pray. Watch and pray. You find these two words connected all throughout scripture. Watch and pray. They go together. They work for one another. There is no watching without praying. Our prayers are to be grounded in the word of God, just as we saw last week. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. To watch and pray is to pray with, with action. It's to pray with effort, to pray with zeal and submission. To watch and pray is to express complete dependence on God. It is to, to spend time in prayer wrestling with God about his purpose and how it should come. It is praying, as Jesus taught us, for your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth. So much to pray for. So many things to pray for. But what does Jesus bring to our attention here? Here, he brings to our attention to pray for perseverance. For perseverance. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. We talked about perseverance in the weeks ahead. And here, Jesus is reminding us as we pray, as we watch for his coming, and as we're praying, what is it that we need to pray for? We need to pray for the perseverance of the saints. We're not praying here to keep our salvation. We've discussed that. The perseverance is not about keeping our salvation. And Jesus is not saying here you need to pray so that you can keep your salvation. When we pray for our perseverance, when we pray that we can be counted worthy, he's saying pray that we will be kept from the evil one, as he puts it in his example prayer. Praying so that we will live a consistent Christ-like life. That we would walk worthy, as Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 4 and 1, that our life would, would balance with who we actually are in Jesus Christ. That we will walk worthy, that we would, in our life, cling tightly to the Savior. When the world pushes us around and when trouble comes and when confusion engulfs us, that we would cling tightly to him and be held secure. So that we can say, like Paul does to Timothy, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love 
his appearing. Pray for the perseverance of the saints. But what we also find here to pray for is to pray for the salvation of the lost. There is, through this whole passage, descriptions of judgment. With the coming of Jesus Christ, not only is there glory for those of his people, but the other side is if you are not seeing the glory of Christ because you are not his, then there is judgment. Judgment is coming. All will stand before God. Every one of us will give account. The believer will stand before God, but we will not give account for our sin. That has been taken away. We will be given account of what we do for Christ, how we have used what he has given us. But for the unbeliever, stand before God under his condemnation, under judgment for sin. Revelation 20, which describes for us this this end that is to come, describes in verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There is an eternal judgment to come for those who have not believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. So today, while there is time, today while there is opportunity to repent, pray that there would be repentance. Pray for the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach into hearts. Don't stop praying. But remember, to pray like this, to pray like the Bible calls us to pray, is to pray with action. Biblical prayer is never just sitting somewhere and saying words. It always moves us into action. So as we pray for the lost, we are also proclaiming. And we are praying as those words of the gospel go out from us and spread into those around us. As we warn people of what is to come, we know what is ahead, so show the way of salvation. Even in the final days, in the days leading up to his final and great return, God will be proclaiming the gospel. There will be the witnesses who travel through the world. There will be the two witnesses who will stand up for him throughout this and and other ways in which the gospel will be proclaimed even to the very end. But right now, It's our responsibility. Right now it is to you and me as the people of God to proclaim the gospel of God. So pray fervently for the lost. We are to watch for his coming. And secondly, implied by that very idea of watching and looking and hoping for it, is to prepare for his coming. To be ready. To be people who are ready And in preparing for his coming, we need to guard our heart. Verse 34, we're reminded, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. Don't be drawn away. Don't be drawn away. We need to guard our heart. I've said the the idea of heart in in the Bible, as I've said many times, has to do with your mind and your emotions and your your will. It is who you are. We need to guard these, these parts of how we think and how we live. We need to take heed. We need to guard. We need to look after your life now. Keep focus. Watch for his coming by watching your life, by watching how you are living Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, 
for out of it spring the issues of life. We're reminded again just a little further in Proverbs 23 and verse 19. Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. This pursue the right way with God. This word carousing, which is sometimes translated as dissipation, I think I like, even though we don't use the word dissipation very much, I think I like that as a description a little bit more here about what it, what it means. The word carousing or dissipation means to squander your health and your wealth in pursuit of pleasure. That's its basic meaning, to squander what you have in the pursuit of pleasure. Few would characterize ourselves like this, carousing. There are, of course, many who, who do, but I dare say that few of us here would describe ourselves as being in a life of carousing or dissipation, squandering our life in the pursuit of pleasure. But what is also true of this carousing, of this dissipation, is that this is a slow process. The idea of coming to this point where we are squandering away our life in the pursuit of pleasure happens slowly. Very, very rarely does it ever happen that one day you wake up and you start abusing alcohol when it hasn't been a part of your life before. Or for, for the believer focused pursuit of pleasure is is what some call a slow fade. It happens slowly, this pursuit into pleasure and self. Maybe it starts with the idea, I can make a bit more money here, or I can provide better things for my family this way or this. There is always this slow step to this point. It never just happens. This is why the warning is to watch, to take heed, to guard our hearts. We must beware and watch because the draw away from God is slow and subtle. Without noticing it, we drift from a life of pursuing God to neglecting God and pursuing ourselves. Be careful not to be drawn away by this life, by the pleasures of worldliness. Because remember, this will all dissolve to make way for what is better. Don't be drawn away. Secondly, in these warnings here to take heed is don't be weighed down. Don't be weighed down. It's not just about being seduced by worldliness, this carousing and drunkenness and pursuing selfish pleasures. It's not just about that. But he reminds us also, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life. It's also about being oppressed by anxiousness. If you're not looking for the eternal hope, all you see in this life is tragedy and hopelessness. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is Solomon's writings of his pursuit of pleasure and what he found it to be. And in chapter 3 and verse 19, he says, For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so does the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. Saying, as I look at this earth, as I look and I just see what's, what's here, 
Without pursuing God, all I find is emptiness. It's the same animal or man. If all we have is this life, it's empty. It has nothing. The progress of the world to the end is distressing. We've, we've talked about that. We've seen some of that. There are distressing things that are happening between the time of Christ's first coming and his second coming, and they will continue to get worse. That is a distressing thing. I was talking with, with one man, one of my co-workers this week, and one of the things he said about all of this pandemic thing, he says, the one thing we have learned about people during this coronavirus thing is that people are bad. We're selfish. And I said, yep, tell me something I don't know. Believer, what are you looking at? If we're just looking at this world, all we're going to see is this world, and we will be overcome, we will be weighed down with the cares of this life, with the persecution, with the trouble, with the pain of rejection. What is happening now is that what we're looking at, or are we looking at where it is leading? Where is all of this taking us? What is God doing with all of this? It is going somewhere. So don't give in to, uh, to anxiousness, but pray. You know, we've read these verses before, and, and I know that they are familiar to, to many of you in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7. These, these are not just great words to hang up on your wall. Paul says here, be anxious for nothing. And what is his answer? But in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and mind. Jesus reminds us, don't be weighed down by the cares of this life. So what would we do with that? Pray. Pray, and God's peace will be passed to our lives. So in preparing for his coming, we guard our hearts. Finally, we pursue Christ in this life. Pursue Christ. Live for Christ now. Verses we read just earlier this morning, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 speaks of his coming, uh, uh, that he did come. And then verse 12 says to this, teaching us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly when? Now, in this present age. Peter, we're reminded where we read earlier in verse 14, he says, Therefore, beloved, looking for these things, that is, seeing that it's all going to end and what God is going to do, what do we do? Be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. Is live your faith now. Live it out. Don't just read about it. Don't just read about your faith. Live your faith. Be found in godliness. Pursuing to live for him. There is joy. There is satisfaction. And there is blessing to be had now. As we pursue Christ now. All the blessings are not ahead. It doesn't mean that as we live this life and the trouble that this life has, that all we are going to experience in this life is trouble and pain and persecution. That is not true. There are blessings to be had in Christ right now as we pursue him in this world. So draw near to Christ. Draw near to Christ. 
Paul reminds us of this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pursue Christ today. Follow him, looking to what is ahead, pursue. Are you watching and praying? That is... Are you preparing for his return? Are you preparing for eternity? It's easy to lose our way, which is why over and over in Scripture we're reminded to watch. Watch. We need to review. We need to correct our course. Say, I'm not pursuing Christ. I've lost my way. You're just like... Falling into carousing is a slow fade. It takes one decision here, a small step here, a small step there, and before we know it, we're off track. So it can be to get back on. One little adjustment can make a big difference, a large difference. I think it is important for all of us, as we come to places like this where Jesus calls us to watch to take heed that we remind ourselves that there are times in our life when we need to stop and to take count of what is going on in our life. To review, where am I at? Where am I headed? What does my life look like? Am I genuinely living for eternity? Or have I been distracted? I put just a few questions there to kind of guide that on our way. Am I living for eternity? Again, we need to delve into that. We might say, yes, I'm living for eternity. I love God. But what does that look like in your life? What would it look like in your life? Say, yes, I can see from that I am living for eternity. How would I see that? How would it physically and practically look in my life to say, yes, I am living for eternity? How will I use what God has given me for his glory And in all of these things, as I look at this, what do I need to improve? Where am I slipping? What should I stop? What do I need to start? And thinking about this, then, what am I going to do to make it happen? And whose help do I need? We're not here to do it on our own. I need, we're going to look at this and say, this is what needs to change, this is what needs to happen, so what do I need to do And who can help me do it? And we will find God will direct us. Watch and pray. Christ is coming. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time together. These are not easy words because they remind us to keep on track. They open our eyes and expose our hearts to the truth that we are prone to wander to lose our way. So, dear God, I pray that these words would rest in our heart, not as condemning words, but in the spirit in which you meant them to be and that they would be encouraging words to direct our path. 
to help keep us focused, proclaiming the glory of God in this world, that we can, with eager anticipation, look for your coming. Thank you and praise you for these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.